Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the sixth series of Compliance Clarified. My name is Alexander Robson and I'm the Managing Editor of Regulatory Intelligence here in London. Today, I'm joined by Nathan Lynch, our Asia Managing Editor in Perth, Western Australia, and we are here to discuss the world of sport and money laundering. Financial crime teams are being urged to pay greater attention to illicit transactions linked to money laundering, illegal betting and corruption. The problem is particularly endemic in the Asia-Pacific region, where gambling is a major way of life in racing, but no sport is immune. Banks, casinos and other reporting entities are largely oblivious to the extent that organised crime groups have infiltrated the sector, according to sports integrity officials. It's just one more headache for hard-pressed and overworked counter-money laundering officials. Some estimates suggest that around a quarter of professional sports have been linked to organised crime. Nathan, this is clearly a serious problem. What are the high-risk activities? You're right there, Alex. It is a really serious problem. And because it's sport, I think there might be a bit of a perception that it's a soft area. You know, when we think of money laundering and counterterrorism financing, we're usually thinking about things like trade-based financing, securities markets, some of these more serious financial areas. But yeah, but I mean, sport is a massive multi-billion, if not trillion dollar industry. And so high-risk activities, there's an entire panoply of potential issues here. We've got match fixing, which is a common one, uh, where, you know, not only can bookmakers lose out and other punters lose out with match fixing, but it can also be used as cover for laundering money with a predetermined outcome. You can wash money in plain sight with match fixing. You've got player transfers, which were you know, huge in the UK in the football market. We saw the Financial Action Task Force in 2009 prepare a report specifically looking at match fix, uh, you know, the soccer market, the football market, as it's known. So player transfers and club sales and things like that are a a massive vulnerability. And we've seen some colourful characters, as they say in the media, buying into... We sure have. You've got other countries like Australia where you have salary caps applied to sports to, uh, you know, for fairness and equity. And so you then have organised crime groups coming in and circumventing salary caps. You've got bribery, merchandising, ticket sales, all of these cash businesses can be used for placement. And you've got performance enhancing drugs, of course, and the illicit drug market, which is heavily tied to it. And probably one of the more nefarious parts of this whole sector is the extortion and compromise of players. So that's a huge systemic issue. And once players are cultivated and brought in and corrupted, organised crime groups will monetize that over a period of years, if not decades. So there's a lot going on in the space. So the UN report, why was that report commissioned now? I mean, as you say, some of these problems have been well known about for a long time. We've had match fixing scandals in India, cricket. We've had Asian betting syndicates on Premier League football, to name but two. And the, the drug link's quite an interesting one. That makes me think of the uh, Balco scandal in the United States of a few years ago. But the, the UN's written a report about this. What does it say? And uh, why, why do you think this is of relevance, uh, particularly now? 
Well, they're aware of just the scale of this issue. I think there's been this huge awareness that's come out of some of the, you know, not only the issues you've discussed, but also where we've had corruption linked to winning events, you know, which is really high-level corruption where nation states are effectively at play there trying to win huge events like the Olympics or the World Cup. So the UNODC got a report together and it was probably the first truly comprehensive look at this issue of corruption in sport. It's called the Global Report on Corruption in Sport, if anyone wants to look it up. And it covers just the staggering scale of this issue and the complexity of the way that corruption and criminal networks work together. And what might surprise people is the report makes it clear that it's not just the top tier. So if you're trying to, uh, you know, launder money through or pull a scam through match fixing, quite often these syndicates will set up mid-tier sports or, you know, matches in the middle of nowhere that are being televised and, and bet on, and those, those outcomes are predetermined. So that's a really clever way to launder money and generate an outcome. So, you know, when you look at illicit betting markets, the report says that up to $1.7 trillion is wagered on illicit betting markets each year. So, Alex, in the world of money laundering, we often say that up to $2 trillion is laundered every year globally, and it's a staggering figure, 5% of global GDP. So when you look at this figure that the UNODC has put forward, that $1.7 trillion moves through illicit betting markets, we're talking about a massive issue here, and I think that should grab the lapels of anti-money laundering and counterterrorism financing compliance teams when they put it in context with those two figures. So why has this surfaced as a problem right now? Okay, the Qatar World Cup is just about to start. Uh, that's one very high-profile event, probably the most high-profile, I should think. But what you know, why why now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, David Howman, who was the former Director General of the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, said a few years ago that organised crime had infiltrated one quarter of professional sport. And what he said was, the biggest threat to sport is organised crime. Don't let us compartmentalise it into match-fixing or bribery. It's all organised crime. Now, that really created a call to action. And what we're seeing today is that there's been this perfect storm of globalisation, a huge influx of money during COVID. We had people at home who wanted to bet, wanted to gamble, and they moved very rapidly to online betting, which drove vast sums of money into illicit gambling and betting markets that were unregulated. And of course, they're able to attack consumers or market themselves to consumers from outside the jurisdiction. It's very hard for countries to defend against this. And so at the same time, you had these transformations in the way that sports played and consumed. We've seen esports take off enormously. Uh, and that, again, has opened up these, these new avenues for potential malfeasance. And then, of course, we've got the Financial Action Task Force, which has had this on the radar as a potential predicate crime for over a decade now. And we're really seeing that police and authorities are catching up. So police are cooperating through public-private partnerships with the Fintel community. And we're seeing the Fintel Alliance in Australia, for instance, has started to really push this as a potential area of interest. 
So it's a whole of government effort, and I think that's why it's really surfacing as a problem now because police, FIUs, criminal intelligence, gambling regulators, they're all coming together to try to get a handle on this issue and really to understand the scope of it in many ways. And how difficult has it been to develop financial intelligence? As you say, you know, a lot of these problems have been around uh, for a while as red flags. Is it a question of sort of organised crime being rooting money offshore? Uh, you know, what, what sort of problems do law enforcement see about monitoring and just, you know, the practicalities of trying to stay on top of these particular problems? Yeah, I mean, look, we know the mercurial nature of the foe that the financial intelligence and AMLCTF community faces. We're well aware of that. And this is possibly one of the perfect manifestations of it because, you know, being sport, it's immediately cloaked in, as we said earlier, it's kind of regarded as a sort of a soft area, a fun thing, uh, and, and that acts as some of the cover for these really nefarious activities to play out. And that cover, the public profile of it, can really be something that organised crime groups will use to their advantage. I mean, as we've seen, Alex, with art markets and, and things like that, where, you know, laundering money in plain sight on a public market through a public auction, even a player auction, something like that, has long been regarded as a very effective way to conceal what, uh, you know, nefarious activity in in the light of day and that becomes part of what's so effective about it so you know it is very very difficult for the financial intelligence community to pick this stuff up there's huge amounts of cross-border activity you've got law enforcement agencies bound by borders and then you've got bad actors here that are operating across borders you've also got the complexity of different jurisdictions so we talked about match fixing earlier and a lot of match fixing comes out of india now, there's a good reason for that. Match fixing is not a crime in India. It's incredible. So really? When a, you know, when we, that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when what we see with match fixing in India is that, say, use cricket as an example, cricket players will come down and very high profile business people will almost see it as sport to compromise players. They'll bring them in, they'll set up honey traps, they'll give them drugs, whatever it might be, get the footage, get the photos, and they will compromise that person. And when that person, uh, you know, throws a match or whatever it might be, that's not a crime in India. So you can see these, these syndicates are often based out of India, but they're fixing games and outcomes in other countries. And this is a huge part of the challenge. So that, that cross-border complexity, it's always a big issue. But we're now seeing FIUs are really focusing on it. And, you know, in Australia, for instance, there's this landmark coming together that's happening through the Fintel Alliance where the gambling regulator, ACMA, is bringing some of these issues into the Fintel Alliance where it can be really worked on across the financial sector, across the payment sector, and lessons can be learned and knowledge can be shared in that environment. And that's been very effective in other areas like money muling and cross-border child sex exploitation material and crime types like that. So we're pretty pretty excited about what's happening here. And I think there'll be some incredible learnings that come out of it that will be of benefit to AML agencies around the world. 
And you've also been writing about some of the activities of sports integrity officials at the at Hong Kong's uh, Jockey Club. Do you want to say a little bit about that? I mean, Hong Kong, I, I think I'm right. It, there's, there's, there's some wonderful statistic that more money is gambled in a single night of racing at Happy Valley than I think the entire year in the UK or something ridiculous. Anyway, it is, it, it is, uh, it is a real haven for... Uh, you know, for, for, for gambling, if you've if you've ever been there and watched an evening's racing, it's quite extraordinary. But they're facing up to the problem too. Well, they are, and also they are the face of regulated gambling. So you know, it's it's like any illicit market. If you don't have a regulated lawful out for it, this is a lawful market that's meeting all the regulatory expectations. And so that is that is an outlet for this. But interestingly, organisations like the Asian Gaming Federation have been pushing a lot of the work in this area because, of course, when you're losing punters to illegal offshore betting operators and the like, uh, there is no regulation there. And, of course, it's a loss of revenue to the lawful operators, the regulated outlets. So, uh, you know, there's there's an interesting dynamic there where, the incumbent players really want to support the banking and law enforcement sector to try and get a handle on this problem because, you know, one element, of course, is self-interest. But the other element is that, uh, you know, regulated outlets also have controls in place to minimise gambling harm. And at least there's something there, whereas these highly addictive online games and, and offshore operators have no qualms about any of those issues. So I think that's an important thing to consider. One can see why governments have got a shared interest in tackling this problem in times of economic stress and cash-strapped governments worldwide in, in times of recession want legitimate sources of funding flowing through uh, treasury coffers. Well, absolutely, there's that as well. And governments around the world are, we've got to be honest here, completely addicted to gambling revenue. Exactly. And for better or worse, that's that's a reality. So if we're given a choice, though, between illicit markets that are enriching organised crime and regulated markets that are, you know, not only flowing into state coffers, but then they're being used to fund uh, campaigns such as helping people with gambling addictions and things like that, it's sort of the cigarette smoking model which, uh, you know, takes takes a lot of revenue into government coffers, but then part of that is given back to community initiatives. So it's all part of this framework. And perhaps, Alex, that is part of why governments are taking this so seriously now, because with the online threat, they are losing so much money, so much revenue, so much uh, national income to unlawful, unregulated, organised crime-backed foreign operators, and that's a big, big challenge. Yeah, I mean, you can see that. If I think about setting up a, an online betting account here, obviously 100% legit with the main high street bookmakers, but it's so easy you can just, you know, depart with your cash in seconds. Uh, so for illegal activities, you can quite understand the, uh, the scale of the problem. So does technology have a role to play here and a positive role for help with law enforcement? It absolutely has a positive role to play. I mean, as always, technology and the information revolution is going to be a double-edged sword. So exactly. you know, as you said before about online gambling, there are off-the-shelf components that you can pretty much put together in about two or three days with no technical experience and launch your own betting market. 
You don't need internal bookmakers. All the odds can be downloaded. So the barriers to entry are minimal, and that's a big concern. So you can have small freelance operations setting up online betting markets, taking cryptocurrencies, things like that. They don't even need traditional payment systems. So tech is posing a lot of risk, but of course tech is part of the solution. So we're seeing really sophisticated use of transaction monitoring tools, including ones that have got some level of machine learning and, and AI type tools driving them. So those alliances that we talked about before with the Triple P partnerships, they will be crucial in developing better algorithms to detect behaviour. So building really targeted typologies and good transaction monitoring tools that all institutions can use, all reporting entities can use. And then, of course, we've got really good network analytics now too. So we can see the networks. We can use those tools to pick up where money's flowing, we can we can be tracking cryptocurrency transactions really well with the blockchain. And of course, better KYC is critical as well. A lot of these online uh, gambling organizations, the legitimate ones, have a problem with uh, fraudulent accounts being set up. So robust KYC can help to tackle some of those issues. So it's a very exciting space. I mean, it's just moving so fast and it's one of those new areas of financial crime where those of us that are getting a bit long in the tooth look at it and go wow here's a new field let's you know let's dive into this i know that's certainly how i feel about it alex what's next we've got Qatar kicking off in two weeks time the eyes of the world will be on the gulf state and one imagines uh, those of organized criminals trying to make um use of some of the uh, activities we've we've outlined uh, on this podcast any further thoughts well, look, the whole world is tuning in for the wonderful spectacle of live sport, you know, and the uncertainty that it brings. But as we've discussed, some of those matches will not be uh, spontaneous outcomes. They have already been predetermined because we know about this issue of match fixing and the just the extent of it. So to think that the World Cup would be immune from that would be highly naive. So, you know, there's there's that aspect of it. There's a cultural aspect, but... I think, you know, I wouldn't be game to obviously uh, make any predictions about how the World Cup will play out, but what I will say is that we are going to see a much greater focus from regulators on this issue. I think we're going to see big partnership projects like the one that I described from Australia in the Fintel Alliance. Uh, we're going to see advocates inside financial institutions starting to pick this issue up, and that's already happening. Uh, you know, people love sport. It's an area that strikes people's passion, so you're going to have strong advocates for it within the banks and payment companies and the like. And importantly for our audience, I think we're going to see more enforcement actions. Uh, to give the Australian example, Austrac has just made targeted supervisory efforts against three corporate bookmakers, which is a whole new area that it's focusing on. So it sent a shot across the bows to the entire sector and I think other countries will see similar enforcement actions coming through against the corporate bookmakers that maybe haven't had their AML controls adequately in place. Because as the casino sector gets a lot more regulatory focus on it, regulators and FIUs around the world, financial intelligence units, are getting concerned about the displacement effect into other gambling markets, i.e. sports and online. 
So uh, watch this space would be, would be my advice, but I think there's some themes that are definitely going to play out in the next few years. Very interesting. Well, that seems as good a time as any to bring today's proceedings to a close. Thank you, Nathan, for your thoughts. And until next time. Thank you for having me, Alex. Always great to chat. Compliance Clarified. A podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.